podcast and welcome to the conversation. Guys, this is a new journey for us. Y'all ready to uh, have a good discussion this morning? I'm ready. Anthony, I understand you have a Jimmy Buffett quote of the day to get us started. <laughs> so let's see what you got. Yes, it's a new podcast and I want to do something different. So uh, I'm going to take a little Buffett wisdom into the new podcast. Let's start with this quote. It takes no more time to see the good side of life than to see the bad. That's a quote from Mr. Jimmy Buffett. So I thought I'd start each episode with a quote from my, um, you know, main go-to Jimmy Buffett. Your spirit so. animal. My spirit animal. <laughs> I wasn't going to say my Lord and Savior. That Jesus. sounded a little too weird. <laughs> no, so that's a little too strong. That that's a little too <laughs> strong. A little too, uh, we what's the word? We that. That's crazy. Yeah. That's heresy. Oh, my God. All right. That's what the word heresy. Yeah, there you go. There my you go. spirit animal, I should say. Hey, fantastic. He definitely right. is your spirit animal. I will say that. It, it certainly is. So uh, the premise of the Screaming in Digital podcast, guys, is like I started. This is going to be a conversation among friends. We're just going to have a, a nice Sunday morning conversation or whatever day it is. We're going to sit back. We're going to talk about things that have been going on maybe in the past week, past two weeks. And for that matter, we may be just talking about coffee. We may be talking about beer. We may be talking about history of where we're from and that's what we're and that's what we're here for we're just here to have fun we're trying to mix it up we've been doing other podcasts for years now and uh it's veterans yeah (laughs) veterans is 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 a way to put it for sure you know for those unfamiliar we do have a music-based podcast called the audible ecstasy podcast but we've been doing that for a very long time reviewing music that we grew up on and and things like that but uh and of course anthony's got a pretty pretty well-known or well well-known podcast within the uh jimmy buffett community That's it's right. the song lines and tan lines podcast which he's got a uh i dare say a, a quite a heavy following where he he focuses on his love of jimmy buffett beach music uh trop rock if you will and he brings it to his fans each and every week um but guys um i, want, I just want to get this started here and talk about the three of us basically grew up more or less together in an area called Abingdon, Virginia, small town. It's just in Southwest Virginia. Um, you know, the population of Abingdon is, it still hasn't cracked 10,000 in the city limits yet as of today, which really? is crazy. Small in the city but Washington County is massive well, it's because sure it is, all yeah. these folks have lived outside of Washington County. But, uh, you know, Abingdon is, is one of these old, old towns that was settled originally called, you guys know what it was called, right? Black's Fort back in whenever it was 17. It was called Black's Fort. Black's Fort. Black's Fort in what? Mm-hmm. 1600s? 1700s. 1700s. Actually. Yeah. Yeah. But nonetheless, it, it become, uh, it became a small little town named after, they think it's named after some province in, in England, I think where Martha Washington was originally from. Believe it or not. That I did not know. Yeah, really. yeah, I found that out. But nonetheless, guys, we are from a small community, although we have moved away at some point in time in our lives. Some of us have come back home, <laughs> and some of us have set up a family and set up, you know, set up shop in, in, in North Carolina, for example. I've been there. I've lived in North Carolina for years, lived in Minnesota for about a year, and West Virginia for some time, Kentucky for some time. But I came back home to Abingdon to raise my kids. Uh, Chris, you've pretty much been here most of your adult life i know you took you took off and, and moved away for a little while in uh, north carolina and i know is that right you live in north carolina well, for a while, when didn't we you? were younger i lived with anthony down in, in greensboro right for a while. right we, we did right. went to brief Lucas travel school there. to be a travel agent <laughs> oh, God. good times right there that's See? a whole episode right there i could yeah <laughs> wow and i know yeah, that put me in florida and that puts you back in abingdon so see uh, that's what i'm saying we've been around and but we've always 
we've always kind of come back to each other and hung out and uh, just remained friends throughout the years. And uh, we've always shared this common love of music and just hanging out and enjoying time together. We like to pick on each other. We like to have fun. And most of all, this is how we stay together. And, and one of the things about Abingdon is we've had a handful of famous people, believe it or not, a few famous people that have come from our area, two of which we actually went to high school with, and you guys may only know one of them. Uh, you know, for those of you guys who are listening broad, well, there's a guy named Scott Cooper that went to high school with us. He graduated, uh, I think, in 1989 or 1988. He's about three years older than us. Uh, he's now a pretty well-to-do uh, producer in, in Hollywood. He's, he's got a handful of movies under his belt. He's actually become very well-versed in cine- cinematography and directing. And there's another lady that is uh, from Abingdon. Her last name is Burson. Do you guys remember Jason Burson? I think it's his older sister. She is she's the same age as Scott as well. She went off and uh, her name's Colette Burson. She went off and became a producer as well and, and has had success. I think she lives in New York though nowadays instead of uh, maybe California, but I don't know. But it's pretty cool to see that we've had a couple of people that went went on to. Uh, fame and fortune, if you will, in the Hollywood scene. We've had governors live here. We've had just, you know, we've had a professional baseball player live here too. Somebody that played for, uh, I think the Detroit Tigers is what I read. And that was something I found pretty, cause I'm, I'm a pretty big baseball fan. Um, and I thought, man, I never even knew we had a professional baseball player lived here outside of the guys that we went to high school with that, that went off and played. You know, we had Trey McCall, Philadelphia Phillies, and we had uh, Sam Rudder who, did time with the uh, Braves in the in the I guess the minor league for them and uh, also with the Brewers. So there was you know that was pretty cool. But uh, hey, Jimmy, if you want to go even deeper beyond Abingdon and Wise County, you know who's from Wise County in that area? Uh, yeah, go ahead. I George C. Bring, Scott. Oh, is that right? Wise County. He's from over in that, somewhere in Wise County oh in that gosh, area. That is fantastic. So that's Southwest Virginia, that which is encompassing what we kind of. We kind of want to talk right. about our hometown. We, you know, none of us are ashamed to where we're from. So I, I, I look forward to maybe since expanding on this later on. Since we're going down that path, uh, <laughs> did George she, was he one of Elizabeth Taylor's husbands? He might have been. I don't know. Somebody don't know. that was married to her because I know she was married seven times, and I think I'd always heard she got married at the Wise County Courthouse one one time up there. Oh wow! Uh, wow. Yeah, and I think I think if that's where he's from and. That might have been, I don't mean to speak out of turn because I'm not sure who all of her husbands were, but at some point I, I heard she was married there. So that's kind of interesting. You know? interesting. Well, that is absolutely interesting. Uh, but, you know, for those who, obviously, this is our uh, first episode. This is kind of a, a branch of what we like to do. And uh, today I just wanted to do a, a quick introduction. We're, we're going to try to keep this podcast tame, if you will, kind of reel it in to making it a, a semi-quick listen for those who are maybe on the go or their travels to and from work or throughout their day. Um, but uh, guys, welcome to the Screaming in Digital podcast. Chris, I know you've got something for us. Go ahead and, and talk to us. Well, uh, what the topic I want to talk about today is uh, genealogy. And I don't know how much you guys have looked into your family trees over the years. I'm afraid but, to look into mine. <laughs> I, I was too, but I found some awesome stuff, which I will actually, bring up. Actually, I think I got a hangman somewhere on one of my side. Somebody oh, wow. Actually, hey, That's I pretty think, cool. mistake. Or a judge. Gangster. Well, <laughs> yeah, I, the, the, the thing that I remember when I was a kid growing up, my, my dad was really into genealogy. It's, it's something that he kind of had a passion for. 
you know, I think it's something that when you're young, you don't care anything about. Uh, but the older you get, the more interested you become in it. Uh, I can remember as a little kid, uh, there was a guy who, who wrote a book about our family history and he lived up in Clintwood. And I can remember as a kid, us driving up to his house, he lived up on this, uh, it wasn't in Clintwood. It was up like on some ridge. I mean, way up like little one lane, you know, snake road to get up to it. And he lived on top of this mountain. I remember we went up there and spent the day just talking to him and, and my dad bought the book and, and it was basically about a guy who, uh, the first counts, uh, who, who moved into Southwestern Virginia. The name of the book was, uh, John counts of Glade, or I think the descendants of John counts of Glade Hollow, right? So I can remember buying that book and then he kind of learned from that book that, that our family moved, migrated down from Luray, Virginia. So we actually took a trip to Luray, Virginia, which is a few hours away. It's up near Lexington, I think. And, uh, he went to some cemeteries up there and was like looking around at gravestones to get dates of, and figure out who, you know, grandparents and stuff where he was really into it. This was back in the eighties, keep in mind. So there was no internet, you know, it was just, it was, you had to do the research to, to learn genealogy back then. So, and I remember, I think he took another trip just to go to courthouses and stuff like that. So, you know, he, he was very interested in that. And I guess that always kind of helped pique my and my brother's interest. I, I'm going to have to give my brother credit here down the road on this stuff too, because he's done a lot of work on this. But, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of where it was. And he passed away in 1991 before the internet really ever was a thing. I mean, they might've had, <laughs> I, I don't know if there was internet back then. If it was, it wasn't accessible to the public, but you know, I can remember I was at work about 15 years ago. And I started thinking about those trips we took and I was like, man, I was like, I wonder. So I just got on Google and typed in, you know, descendants of John counts of Glade hollow. And man, it was just like a flood of information that came in. It was just this web page after web page and people had done all this work. And within an hour I was able to trace the family roots all the way back to this little community in, in Germany, uh, a little community called Niederdorf. <laughs> the Niederdorf. name is crazy, but but yeah, and it's like, it's kind of in the middle of nowhere, but you know, I, and then, and then when I saw Niederdorf and I, of course I went to Google earth and I started looking around and, and there was a, there was a little tavern kind of place there. It was called Boo Huss. It said, I remember looking at it and I was like, Hmm, like, this is an interesting looking place. So I Googled Boo Huss, Niederdorf, Germany. And the next thing I know, I see a, a, a page pop up with like, so, okay. My last name is counts, but that has migrated a few times. It used to be Kuntze or C-U-N-T-Z-E was, was the pronunciation or the, the spelling back then. And I see this page of all these people with that last name who took a, a trip in like in 2016 or something. Uh, well, no, that would have been it, it, 2006. Anyway, it was, they had taken a family vacation over this place and this was the family home that that my family grew up in in the 1600s and they wow. were standing in front of it in this picture and it was just like my god all this information i figured this out in an hour you know and i was thinking my, my dad had to do all this research and never even scratch the surface of that stuff you know so and i and i know for a fact if he would have known all this we'd have taken a family trip over there and, and researched that place i mean it's just because it, it was such a passion of his but anyway my brother has really gotten into it over the years now too. So, 
And he got on the genie or like the, the ancestry.com website. I don't know. Have you guys ever thought about looking into that or getting I will tell you when you get done, I'll tell you what okay. happened to me when I tried this route. You'll, you'll enjoy uh, the story. Ancestry.com costs money. That's why I've never done it. So. Yeah, two weeks for free, buddy. You just got to study hard. It's, for two it's weeks. really not that bad, but you know, you, if you have a passion for for tracing your roots and stuff, it's 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 totally worth it. But if if you don't, then I get that too. But anyway, my brother got on this, and he has absolutely traced the family tree back so many, like fifteen, sixteen hundreds, so many paths back through uh, several several lead to Germany. I think most of ours do lead to Germany, but there are several in England and Ireland and Scotland. And, you know, it tells the communities these people moved in from. One thing I don't know if you guys are aware of, I, I learned this once I got into it. Uh, and this is why it's, if you, if you join a site like Ancestry.com, and I, I don't mean, by the way, I didn't mean for this to be an advertisement for that website. <laughs> it's me talking about They're it. But this not is who a sponsor, by the way. No, if we're you not. want to sponsor us, please. <laughs> but, but the thing about it is that the Mormons are actually responsible for a lot of research uh, so like if you get on there, you might find your family tree pretty much filled out for you already. All you have to do is just kind of go look and verify. So I think that was like a whole lot of our situation. Uh, the reason that's the case is that the Mormons, they have this philosophy. They, they believe that, that if they can trace somebody back in your family tree to being a Mormon, they can, they can posthumously save the entire family tree and claim them as Mormon. And that this is true. This is a belief they have. As a matter of fact, there was a, there was a time in the nineties the there that there was a little controversy because they saved a bunch of Jewish Holocaust victims, like over oh, uh, almost wow. 400,000. Yeah. That they dug up and all these people were like, okay, <laughs> these people were not Mormon. Wow. <laughs> you know? Jewish. They're not Mormon. Exactly. And religion. they caught some heat for that and they had to backpedal a little bit. And I actually remember listening to a, a podcast one time and this lady was talking about how she had, uh, her grandmother, she w- she had done some research on her grandmother and learned she had been posthumously baptized. And this woman was a devout Catholic and she, the, the granddaughter was like, there is no way on earth. My grandmother would be happy with this. You know, she, she and, and, and it is kind of like stepping over the line doing this, uh, but that said, there's a lot of research that comes from this and, and you can easily, and, and it's very accurate. You know, there's birth records, there's death records, uh, war records. Um, it, 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 there's a ton of records out there that these people have collected for basically, I don't want to say everybody in the United States, but a large portion of the population. And if you get lucky enough, you can kind of like latch on to that and and run with it, and within a few days, kind of figure out your entire family history. So anyway, I, I was telling my brother, you know, he he did this, and he found some kind of interesting stories that I, that I'll tell you guys. Uh, w- so we we found some war veterans, right? Uh, some from the actually one guy was a colonel in the in the Revolutionary War, which was kind of surprising that went back that far. Uh, we had <laughs> we had one guy. There were a few from the Civil War. One who started fighting out with the South, uh, deserted about a year later, then wound up in Kentucky somewhere and, and enlisted with the North and fought for them till the, the war ended and somehow managed to get two pensions out of this. Cause a part of the, you know, part of the way they learned people were in the war is because of the, the pension records. So this guy got a pension from the North and a pension from the South the rest of his life. 
And I'm pretty sure his widow did too. So that, right, I, I'd be real curious to, to research that a little more and find out how often that happened. Uh, you know, a lot of these people, when they were fighting, they were probably like, this is not worth it. I, I didn't sign up for this and, and just jump to the side. It was winning. Maybe. I don't know. Cause I mean, where everybody was American, it wasn't, it's not like, you know, I wonder if the, I wonder if the Southern pension was Confederate money. No, no, there was a, uh, actual agreement after the war. I think Lincoln had something to do with it. Uh, or maybe around when the war was ending that they wanted to try to heal the country and they actually paid mm-hmm. off the, the civil war veterans pensions as well. So oh, that's a good thing. Uh, yeah, it is interesting. All that was interesting to learn. Uh, I found out that, you know, from the Hatfield McCoy few, I've got uh, family from the McCoy side of that. They were all up from around Pikeville, Kentucky in that area. Uh, and one story that, that I, I've heard my brother tell, it always cracked me up. Uh, we had this, I, I would say maybe great, great grandfather. I think it was around that time frame. It was, I think it was my grandmother's grandfather. Anyway, he was, he was kind of a womanizer from the sound of things, kind of a drunk. Uh, <laughs> so you might call him a ne'er-do-well. I don't know, but he, uh, sounds like an outstanding uh, citizen. Yeah. Somehow he was seen, uh, with another woman on the back of a horse one time, kind of like riding around in the woods and he wasn't supposed to be with her or what have you. And this is around the time that he was getting ready to, to, to divorce the, the woman he was with. And they went to court and the judge was so fed up with this guy that he, he told him he was never allowed to marry again in the state of Virginia. So <laughs> <laughs> now there is no way it's legally binding, but I think judges kind of went over the line back in those days and just did whatever they wanted. But yeah, so he actually moved to Ohio later in life and got married again up in Ohio. <laughs> and I think that was the whole reason he did that. But anyway, you know, I've always been kind of a history buff. And the older I get, the more I'm interested about my family history. And, and it kind of, you know, sites like that are a great way to do it. Luckily, my brother has handled most of this. He's, you know, he's an attorney. He's really into things like this. His research is very good. All I have to do is log on and look at the site. So it's pretty handy for me. But I don't think it's a tremendous amount of work to do that. And something if you guys are actually into it, I would I would recommend you guys do, you know, for yourself. But uh, let's hear your story, Jimmy. I, right, I know you've, so, you've kind of told me this in the past. This is I, I did this uh, ancestry thing back in 17. So things may have changed. I probably need to log back into it and subscribe for another month just to see if anything has, a, has changed throughout time. So as I... As I had gotten older, I'd found out after my grand my grandmother and my grandfather passed away that um, my last name, for those who don't know, is McKimmy or McKamey is how it's pronounced growing up, but it was spelled McKimmy. Um, my great grandfather, which is on my dad's side, he apparently had uh, grew up a rough life on a farm, uh, possibly was beaten by his father. Uh, he ran away from home. And, uh, they lived up in Augusta County, Virginia, right outside of Stanton, if you will. Uh, that's where they're all pretty much from. And, um, he, he ran away, I want to say somewhere North of there and kind of lived barn to barn. Uh, one night he spent the night in a, uh, in a graveyard, woke up in the graveyard that he, the grave that he set, slept under was the last name of the person was McKimmy, and he changed his name to McKimmy <laughs> that day. Wow. Uh, and then he went on and, and created a new life and later kind of, you know, reconciled this family. Um, uh, but 
finding that out, my true uh, true identity goes back to a last name of Hanger. And um, he is, my great-grandfather was the son of uh, David and Elizabeth Hanger. Um, and they, um, I guess, had four kids. All of them were Hangers. And my grandfather's name was Charles Edward McKimmy is what he changed it to. But his real name was Enos B. Hanger. I don't know what his middle initial stands for yet. But his, first, his name was Enos B. Hanger. And uh, we kept tracing it back further and further and further. So my initial ancestor, his name is Johann Frederick Hinger, H-E-N-G-E-R, born 11, 19, 17, 26. He came to America in 1746 or 48. It's, it's hard to see it because it's handwritten. And his date is um, you know, it's stamped by somebody in Philadelphia. I think it's in Philadelphia where they did this. And then he tr- just made his way down to Virginia. Um, but he lived from, you know, November of, uh, 1726 to, uh, was it February of 1799? He is from a, a province or a town called Neidenstein in Wurttemberg, Germany. Hmm. And, um, and he of course moved to Augusta, Virginia. Eventually he married a lady named Eva Margarita Mayer, M-A-Y-E-R, who was 20 years younger than him at the time. So when he got married, you know, back then it was acceptable. I, I see some age disparities. Uh, like, trust me, I've got a couple of great greats that are, you know, 15, 18 years in, in age difference between the female and the male. So it's just a different time, I would imagine. Um, you know, a girl's 18. If you were close to, you know, your mid-30s to 40, it was, I guess, acceptable to marry that person. But uh, nonetheless, he changed his name or the the – I guess when he came to Philadelphia and got registered, they misspelled it and thought the E was an A and it, he became a hanger. And yeah, so I, I think that's how a whole lot of name changes happen. They'll, they'll come through customs and they'll report their name. And sometimes it wasn't fully understood what they said. And then right. all of a sudden the name gets changed. And I'm sure he's speaking German it, yeah. and it's like yeah. hunger, hunger. <laughs> and you know, and I'm sure that's how he wrote it down. Uh, but yeah. That's how I, you know, and I've got, you know, just a, I, I have it all written down because I went through it pretty hard and uh, trying to figure out who I am. And, and it's, it's kind of weird seeing it's sad too knowing that I have a different last name. I'm assuming I have a bunch of distant relatives that maybe live in the Augusta County area because from the time Johan moved there and started his family and kind of spread out, it looks like everybody has either lived and died in that area for the most part. Uh, you know, uh, even my grandfather, I think he, my, my grandfather might have been the first person to move away and kind of move toward Roanoke at the time and then off into Kentucky and when he did the mining and all that stuff back in the, you know, 40s and, and 50s. Um, but, you know, it was, uh, it's very interesting to see that stuff. It's, I've actually got the uh, two of the funeral things cut from a newspaper uh, for, for my great grandfather when who died in, uh, or my great great grandfather, John A. Hanger, who died in 1934. I've got his funeral thing. He lived to be 88 years old, which was a tremendous accomplishment yeah, yeah, yeah. back in that time, guys. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, and he survived by his son, D, uh, D.O. Hanger of Waynesboro and C.E. McKimmy of Buchanan. So at that point in time, he must have been reconciled and acknowledged yeah. that his son had changed his name to Charles. So, you know, yeah. it's ancestry can bring up stuff that you never really knew about. I knew it was kind of like a, a demon. And my mom's side's been done already, and I need to go grab. There's a book. Uh, we have a book, Chris. 
my mom's, you know, uh, Holbrook, and I guess it has some kind of English background. So I need to bring that up one day, but I haven't really looked through it. I know that there's ties to ties to some kind of royalty. I don't, I don't know who it is. Maybe it's just distant, but that's, that's kind of cool stories. I, I do enjoy it too, Chris. I, the old, like when I was younger, I could care less, but the older I get, I was like, dang, you know, what could have yeah. been where I come from? Yeah. It's amazing. And, and the thing is like it, when you're young, you don't, you don't, like you said, you don't really care as much, but all the older people that you need to be talking to, to mm-hmm. understand things, you know, they're going to be dead and gone yeah. by the time you actually start caring about this. So it's good to to bend those ears as much as you can at as an early an age as possible as well. Dude, I'm lucky I have a cousin that's about 10 years older than me, and he is the one who really started this on the McCamey side. And, uh, or maybe it it may have been done before that. My dad knew the story, but he just never really documented it. He just knew that, and he, I don't know if he remembered the last name is what's sad until we, we, we discussed it there, you know, a few years back. I guess we know Chase was first born, but, uh, I mean, that's, of course, that's been 10 years ago when we talked about that. I just didn't know it. My cousin went through it, and somehow we found paper cuttings where the funerals would happen back in the you know 1900s. And uh, I mean, it's yeah. it's amazing seeing this like 1930. I mean, good lord, 1934. That's unreal. I need to go in and do that with mine sometime. See what's up. Yeah, like I said, I did the two week thing, Anthony, way back when. Anthony, you've got so many, so much family, direct family over in Italy. It's hard to tell because oh, like, your yeah. mom had. You know, several speaking of the correct. age thing, I mean, my mom's dad was late seventies when she was born, so mm-hmm. I mean, he was he was super old. <laughs> so you're talking about you know moving how older men married younger women. I mean, he sure, had, I don't know sure. how many. He had a bunch of kids and. I keep thinking about like my grandfather was actually born in the 1800s, and that blows my freaking mind to think about that. But he mine was, was too. My my grandfather fought in World War One. That that's crazy. Yeah. That is crazy. crazy to think about when you have there's actually a great home. story. I might share it for another podcast about him meeting his brother uh, during on the streets of Paris, you know, near the end of the war, not knowing if he was dead or alive. I mean, it's a pretty cool story. Yeah, Dang. yeah my granddad was born in, in 1918, so it just tells you how the difference in age. So your all's grandparents were like twenty years older. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah. Well, my dad, my mom's dad wasn't that old, but it, yeah, my my dad's dad was pretty old when they had him, and I think they were older when they had me. So, yeah. wow, that's amazing, yeah, dude. Just crazy how things things happen. All right, Chris, fascinating stuff, dude, and I'm glad you brought that up because it brought back some good memories and kind of kind of weirdness I, I do want to visit the stanton area and kind of i would like to go see some of these tombstones to be honest yeah. with you yeah ours are from spotsylvania originally and i don't think my dad ever knew that. that's where they came in first in that part of the world so wow, wow. did iron ore mining i think back in the 1830s something like that that was a big thing for them. all right well anthony i know that uh this is this is something i've been waiting to, to discuss with you after <laughs> reading what you sent us um anthony talk to us let's get a little sci-fi stuff going for us if you will <laughs> Yeah, sci-fi yes. in the or, future we're not gonna we're not gonna hold you to this but i, I got a feeling we're gonna get a lot of sci-fi stories dude, from I, I love it i mean i think this is sci-fi and ghost stories that, though i'm thinking about the next time talking about strange things presidents have done <laughs> i was listening to box of oddities which is a great little podcast if you get a chance about 30 minutes um and they were talking about strange things of presidents and there are some wild things out there so i might wow. do that the next time take it off the ghost and the alien stuff but yeah, I was going to talk about the moon-eyed people. I don't know if you guys ever heard about that or not, but I've, I hadn't until you told us. Not, not until you mentioned it. No. Yeah, so it's fascinating. 
I'm gonna. I got a pretty long little thing here. I'll try and maybe summarize a little more. But go ahead, man. This this comes from StrangeCarolinas.com. Um, it goes: If you venture into the Cherokee County Historical Museum, which I do plan to visit at some point in time, uh, basement, you'll find the Moon-eyed People, an unassuming three-foot sculpture encased in glass that look like conjoined aliens. But what exactly were the Moon-eyed People? Some folks have told us that. They're aliens, while others have said they're like mole people who live underground. It's pretty wild stuff. Um, it also says, according to the myths and legends, the Cherokee moved into these mountains, the Appalachia Mountains, I'm assuming, um, around 1100 to 1200. They said there was a race of people already here. The people that were here, according to the legends, were short, white, flat-faced, and blue-eyed. They were so blue-eyed they couldn't see to work in the sunshine. So they came out in the evening to do their work. The Cherokees called them the Moon-Eyed People. And I dug some more information about them from Blue Ridge Mountains Travelguide.com. It states, Some historians believe that the Moon-Eyed People were simply early European settlers, but the stories of them date back to the time before the first pilgrims began to arrive. And according to ancient stories of the Cherokee, their blue eyes were so sensitive to the sun that they were forced to be nocturnal, only to come out at night. And this is how they got the name the Moon-Eyed People, even though the light from the full moon was reportedly enough to make them flee underground. So they had super sensitive eyes, even to sunlight and moonlight, it sounds like. But uh, they built caves underground to escape the light, of course. Some stories also suggest they built small huts made of logs and wood that were low to the ground. And according to this site, there are also ruins spread throughout the mountains, which I'd love to go try and find sometime. Um, located just north of Elaje, Georgia, Fort Mountain State Park has long been associated with the Moon-Eyed people. There are ruins of an 850-foot-long stone wall there that was said to have been constructed by them circa 400 to 500 CE. I don't know what CE means, if you guys know, but... Uh, not um, sure either. <laughs> no. I'm not either. I should have looked that up. Uh, the wall measures up to seven feet tall in some places, curves along the southeastern edge of the North Georgia mountains. Uh, many of the ruins left by the Moon-Eyed people exist between the Little Tennessee River and Chickamauga, Chickamauga Creek. Um, you know, it says various stone walls and structures still stand, uh, yada, yada, yada. And from NorthCarolinaGhost.com, uh, it says, because the description of the moon-eyed people is that they are pale-skinned and bearded, this has led to some amount of speculation, quite a bit of it wild, that the legend of the moon-eyed people represents a Cherokee folk memory of contact with a group of European settlers who made it to the New World before Columbus. Particularly, the Cherokee legend of the moon-eyed people has been matched up with the Welsh legend of Prince Maddock. I know it's a little bit long. Um, according to the Welsh story, Maddock was a Welsh prince who, disenchanted with the Civil War racking his homeland, set sail with his brother, I can't pronounce that word, Ririd, R-H-I-R-I-D, and a few followers in 1170 across the Atlantic Ocean and landed somewhere around Mobile Bay, Alabama. Basically, they went on exploration and Maddock returned to his native country after that and recruited enough followers to fill 10 ships. So apparently he came to the United States, found this area, 
then went back across the seas and brought 10 ships worth of people back here to settle this country long before Columbus ever set foot in America and American soil or European, you know, wherever Columbus landed initially. Um, and then it says, uh, some have speculated that the Moonite people are the descendants of Maddox colonists and that it was these Welshmen who fought a war with the Cherokee and these Welshmen who built the stone forts and dot the ridges of the mountains. However, this is a big but, according to the same site, there is absolutely no historical or archaeological evidence to support the tale of Prince Maddock. Uh, he says King Owen was a real enough a historical figure, but no contemporary source names either a Maddock or a Rirod, I can't pronounce that name, as his son. The story of Maddock's journey seems to have arisen around 1580 as a piece of propaganda to bolster England's claim to the New World, which needed some bolstering because at that time, England's arch-rival Spain was doing most of the actual colonization in the Americas. Spreading the idea that someone from the British Isles had gotten there first, painted the Spanish as Johnny-come-lately's usurping the rightful English claim to the Americas. So you got that going on, and then it says stories of European settlers who encountered Welsh-speaking Indians began circulating in the late 17th century. Um, a Reverend Morgan Jones claimed to have been captured by people called the DOEG in present-day South Carolina in 1666, uh, who he was astonished to learn spoke Welsh. And it goes on from there and there. I don't want to get too much more. There's a lot more into it. But I just find it fascinating that these people apparently came to the States long before the Vikings, around the time of the Vikings, maybe before the Vikings. And, you know, our history books are always talking about Columbus landing in America, discovering America, right? But here's this Moonite people that quite possibly landed here in 1100, like 300 years before Columbus. So there could have been actually European settlers on this side of the continent way before Columbus ever set foot. So I just found that fascinating. So Where, where was this Prince Matic from again? Uh, somewhere in the Welsh countryside, I think. Okay, so he's like from the UK. Right, yeah. Well, that that makes sense to you guys. That was it a does. Long, it's a fascinating story. The only thing I find suspect is the route they came to America. You right. mean to tell me they went in between the Keys and Cuba, not seeing land, and just kept going until they got to Alabama? Because you would think they've been on a boat for probably nine months to yeah. get to America. You think the first sight of land they would have been like, right here's land, we got to go. Uh, and true. believe me, when you're sailing between Cuba and Florida, you can see it. You can. One way or the other. It's you only know? 90 miles from Key West to Cuba. So right. You got- so you should have been able to see something. I don't know. But the fact that these artifacts exist, maybe something else happened. Which, I mean, this is crazy. It just makes me think. The fact that they can't see during the day very well. That's another thing that's weird. It's just not a human trait. You know what I mean? Well, another part it, of it. But, but it could be like a lost group of people who got stranded and True. then in, inbreeding started happening. And then, you know, then you have genetic uh, abnormalities. Right. Uh, yeah, exactly. Which very well could have been something like that. Uh, or they could it have reminds been me a little them. bit of this Melungeon group that we have locally. I don't know yeah. how much you guys know about that. I've it's not, I mean, they're, they're not like, you know, inbreded, but, but. There's a group of people that that live in this area, uh, more more toward uh, Sneedville down that way, kind of in the uh, 
northeast Tennessee part, really, although some of it reaches up into southwest Virginia, of people who, when the settlers got here, these people were already here, and they didn't know where they came from. There was a lot of speculation that they came from uh, the Raleigh Lost Colony down in North Carolina. They were Portuguese sailors, they thought, maybe, who got uh, stranded and kind of kept working their way inland because they were trying to avoid conflict and kind of settled in an area around here um i saw another theory about that that um there was a once they had dutch settler who came to this area kind of and he had like uh, like 800 soldiers with him and 200 slaves and some of those soldiers and slaves kind of just like abandoned around this part of the world and they hid in the mountains and it's a very mountainous area where they where they were so it'd be easy for them to do that they kind of like co-mingled with cherokee indians so you have like people from you know caucasians uh, black people and the indians all kind of settling together in one community and all kind of over time you know having kids with each other and and this is the 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 race that kind of formed because they're not really you know if, if you meet melanges i mean they you don't it's kind of ambiguous you're not exactly sure what the ethnicity is there when you see them so that it could be something along those lines i do think there are a lot of uh, explorers who came into the new world uh shipwrecks happened people kind of dispersed and next thing you know they're in like groups of people and they're trying to avoid capture or you know getting you know if, if these people abandoned uh like a, a military group you know they could be executed for that so they don't want to be found you know so well, there's I mean, all like kinds the, of things that could happen like what i was talking about here maybe the cherokee just absorbed them into their culture you know maybe they just yeah, became definitely. part of that tribe or maybe i'm learning so much now that's not in our history books that we're learning about that they never told us in school and maybe the Columbus thing works so well for us right now that we don't want to explore anything else. Cause like, this is set in stone. Everybody's on board with it. I'm not going to go anywhere else. So, but I heard about that on Ryan Spriggs somewhere in the skies podcast. And if you have Apple podcast, you can actually join for five bucks a month, listen to his bonus and his bonus stuff. And it's a little small 15 minute episode. Um, I highly encourage you if you got five bucks, help Ryan out. He's a great podcaster. It's one of my favorites to listen to. And he takes an alien slant because a lot of his stuff is he deals with what's that's somewhere in the skies, the unexplained stuff in our skies. And there is an alien slant to this too that I don't truly understand. But some people think maybe these could be aliens that people have witnessed and been a part of and seen. And uh, they were here at some point in time and then they somehow either left or merged into our society. Maybe they made weird hybrids. You, you don't know this strange, weird stuff, but who knows? But uh, like I said, I encourage you, if you get a chance, he does a really good job of explaining that better than I can. Um, so if you get a chance, check it out when you're done here. So give him a, give him a plug. So but I found it interesting. Stuff, so yeah, it is interesting. I, you know, it's, you're right. We only know what, been written you know what i'm saying we we don't know the stuff has been accepted too you know this, maybe something was taught differently back in the you know the 1600s the 1500s or whatever you know whenever these folks may have been came uh, came to, I mean, the, to america so you know and yeah the ufo subject too is one of those I minutes mean, you start throwing ufos people start going oh there's a bunch of crackpots you know and nobody will really talk about it 100 percent. so that's very true 
Very yeah, true. We were shooting yeah. stuff out of our skies recently. Everybody's been talking about, and nobody knows what they were, but uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot true. of theories. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, guys, this has been a uh, it's you know this is basically our experiment zero, if you will, for uh, for the episode. <laughs> I think we've uh, we've we've got a nice little idea of what's going to go on here and what 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 we have planned for the future is more discussions, various topics. And I look forward to uh, kind of just hanging out like we like we have been, guys. This is a different type of hang, and I, I do I, I like this. I, I enjoy it. Um, is there anything else you guys have you want to bring up before we close this one out? Not really. I yeah. guess you, Anthony. Maybe nah, discuss think- what he's got coming up on his podcast this coming week. Yeah, yeah, Anthony. If you want to talk about the uh, song, the lines, Buffett stuff, lines. go right ahead. Bring it on up. I'm just diving into one particular harbor this awesome. week. So great album. Um, I lost the file Chris sent me the that we did once particular of, but oh, okay. with everything going on with the copyright stuff, it's probably best that I don't have it anyway, so I can just play a couple songs. But anyways, yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna dive into that, and uh, I'm gonna dive into later on Sammy Hagar, and how he is maybe the hard rock version of Jimmy Buffett. So I've kind of explored that. He definitely to a point. Is. Well, actually, they've had a conversation <laughs> together, him and Jimmy. So it comes up in yeah. that episode. So very, very cool, man. So. Look forward to hearing that because I'm a huge Hagar fan. All right, guys. Well, this has been the Screaming Digital Podcast. Thanks for stopping by. Mm-hmm.